Well, good morning, Westridge. You know, uh, there's a hockey game a couple of blocks from my condo if you want to come down and hang out later on. <laughs> yep. Uh, I forget my address right now. I'll get back to you on that. Just exactly. So, uh, in my field of study, urban studies and sociology, there's been a lot written the last 10 years about how Americans are segmenting themselves, dividing themselves, almost a new tribalism, balkanization of how different we are. Instead of seeking to find ways that bring us together, that create harmony, it seems as if we're growing further and further apart. And it is in the midst of that context in the American church that, the church, that in, in, in America that the church sits with the sole mission of bringing people together around the cross of Christ. And uh, it may not be an overstatement to say it's never been more difficult to do than it is in America in 2014. And so I want to look at overcoming some barriers today and the next time I'm up on Memorial Day weekend. The one then is a little bit more obvious. This one perhaps not as obvious. I want to talk about overcoming generational barriers. I don't know if you've ever had a difficult time relating to or communicating with someone from a different generation. Would that be true for anyone? Just me, okay? I love speaking in vacuum anyway, amuse myself. So uh, last Sunday, we knew that there were tornado watches and warnings out in northeast Oklahoma, southeast Kansas, southwest Missouri, where most of our family still lives. And we turn on the Weather Channel, and sure enough, there's a Weather Channel reporter in Joplin, Missouri, and then over in Kansas. Now, when there's a tornado warning out and a Weather Channel reporter is in your town, that's a bad sign. Okay. So uh, we stay glued to the Weather Channel. Sure enough, a tornado rips through northeast Oklahoma, southeast Kansas, in Baxter Springs, Kansas, where my 90-year-old father lives. So we're trying to get through to him, landlines are down, cell phone, which I pay for that he never even turns on or uses. Um, fortunately, he turned it on, I got through on the cell phone, and I said, you know, are you okay, any damage there? He said, oh yeah, when I heard the tornado sirens, I went out on the porch and watched the t- tornado touch down about a block and a half from my house. He said, the whole town was up in the air. And then he said, as it was leaving, I went to the backyard and I saw this big, long, white tail leaving. Didn't touch him. Didn't, didn't move a, a blade of grass. And I thought, you know, I could have admonished him for being so foolish, but I knew better. There's no telling him anything. <laughs> Which is probably the exact same thing he said about me when I was 16. A few years ago, I was leading, uh, teaching a class and leading them on a field trip to an urban ministry in Los Angeles. And we were in the church bus on the way home, and I get a call on my cell phone. And it's someone with a Chinese accent wanting to sell me an expensive watch at a ridiculous price. And so I listened for a few seconds, and then I hung up. Ten minutes later, I get another call from a person identifying himself as the pastor of the church we just left. And he said, you've left a student behind here at the church. And I'm thinking, 
Oh, how could that be? I'm tired. I don't want to go all the way back downtown and get him. And my first thought was, how could I have done that? I was so sure we picked everyone up. And then I thought, that voice didn't sound like the pastor of the church we just left. And it dawned on me to check the numbers of the last two calls. They were both placed from the same phone, which I promptly called back. And the laughter that erupted told me my calls had originated from the back of the bus. One particular student was calling me to give the rest of the students a little in-flight entertainment. Punk young kids. So I contrast those college students with my father-in-law when he was a college student. He left a successful job at the age of 40, moved to Joplin, Missouri, yes, Tornado Alley, with five kids to enter Bible college. The entire time he was there, he worked a full-time job and took a full load of classes. And in his spare time, he didn't make prank calls on his cell phone to his professors. Of course, he didn't have a cell phone, but even if he had, he wouldn't have done that. All he had was a 50-pound rotary dial phone bolted to the wall with a three-inch cord. Talk about generational differences. And in his spare time, he studied Hebrew, or change the transmission in the family vehicle, which was always breaking down, probably because of the way my wife drove it at that time during her teen years. I guess when you spend your later teen years in the army, fighting in Germany, in the winter, you don't sweat the small stuff. So here we are. The church is meant to be a place where the barriers between us are broken down. Less often addressed, but just as real, are the barriers that are rooted in generational differences and season-of-life differences. Now, I'm going to get all sociology on you here for just a little bit, but hang with me, okay, because it's going somewhere. Can you do that? Yeah, you young punks can't do that. (laughs) So there's four distinct seasons of life that, that correspond roughly with the seasons of the year. The Bible actually takes this into account. Ecclesiastes wisely counsels that there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven. And so I think understanding the seasons of life and the generation in which we live is important for getting along as the family of God, as our mission to reconcile people to each other continues. So the first season is childhood, the spring of life, the season for growing and learning and in America... We note this passage from childhood to young adult in a variety of ways. The first driver's license, the first job, high school, college graduation, first vote, moving away from home. The second phase is that of young adulthood, the summer of life, building a career, starting a family, a time of intense growth, of spreading your your wings. The third phase is that of midlife, the autumn of life, the Indian summer of life. A little sunny, a little sad, just like the season. And so it's in this season that we find the first signs of physical aging. We realize that we're just beyond our biological prime. The final phase is elderhood or the winter of life. Time for engaging in leisure and reflection. 
from retiring from the exhausting duties of work and career and family, for passing the baton to younger hands. This is the time when your descendants outnumber your friends. But for the first time in contemporary culture, for the first time in Christian history, there's a new phase of life. It might be called late elderhood, age 84 and up. These are the people who go out to their front porch as a tornado tears by (laughs) their town. But because the season of history shapes the season of life differently, what you get is generational differences. Generational differences are the differences that cause us to launch into the, well, when I was a kid, stories. Stories that distinguish between what you experienced during a particular season of your life in contrast to what youth today are experiencing in the same season. And the fact of the matter is, it's true. It was different when you were a kid. Same seasons, different experience. Different technology, different global events. But what's new is that for the first time in history, we have four generations in the workplace in America today, and we have five generations in families. Now, they're sometimes sometimes called by different names with slight variations on the date, but I want to just highlight these for you on our way eventually to where we're going in the Bible. The traditionalists, sometimes called builders, born before 1945. This is the generation that includes everyone who saw combat in World War II which may be the defining moment of the 20th century. Famous traditionalists, John F. Kennedy, Ronald Reagan, Walt Disney. And then there's the boomer generation, born between 46 to 64 or 63. They're the victory babies. When the traditionalists were storming the beach in Normandy during the spring of their life, many boomers were storming the beach in Fort Lauderdale during the summer of love or maybe fighting in an unpopular war. Boomers were the first generation to be raised suburban by Dr. Spock. Famous boomers, Bill Clinton, Steven Spielberg, Bill Gates. Then comes Gen Xers, born between 65 and 80. Now, this generation was significantly diminished, not because of a world war, but because so many of them were aborted. They became the latchkey kids in an age without heroes. Famous Gen Xers, Tom Cruise, Jodie Foster, Quentin Tarantino. And then the generation of the moment, the millennials, 81 to 2001. They're the last generation that will have any contact with G.I. Joe. When the next generation arrives, World War II will be pure history, as distant from their lives as the Civil War is from boomers' lives. Famous millennials, Jennifer Lawrence, Taylor Swift, Justin Bieber. If you want to highlight generational differences, imagine Ronald Reagan trying to understand and relate to Justin Bieber. (laughs) But I said there are five generations in the home because the fifth generation doesn't yet have a name or established dates. But assuming this generation starts somewhere between 2002 and 2004, these children are already consumers and influencers. Okay? Thus endeth the sociology lesson. It's against this unprecedented diversity in generational differences that we find the church with the mission of breaking down the barriers that divide us. 
Now, it's true, the church has always had a broad range of generations, a broad range of people going through the season of life issues, but never in the history of the church have those generations and those seasons been so diverse, which can make communication and harmony very difficult. Now, you know, reading about the life of Christ, that he welcomed the very old as well as the innocent and defenseless children. And the Apostle Paul, he gives instruction to early church leaders who were encountering encountering these seasonal and generational issues. And it turns out his counsel is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. He's got three different messages to three different groups. Here's the first one. His first message is older men are not necessarily mature men. (laughs) Women, this is your chance for an amen. Amen. Spoken by older women, undoubtedly. Um, Here's what the Bible says. But as for you, promote the kind of living that reflects right teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, to live wisely, They must have a strong faith and be filled with love and patience. His next message is this. Older women are not necessarily self-controlled women. Guys, this is your chance. The Bible says similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that's appropriate for someone serving the Lord. They must not go around speaking evil of others and must not be heavy drinkers. Indeed, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely, be pure, to take care of their homes, to do good, and to be submissive. Push the pause button there. Because I had some people from the first service say, what does that word submissive mean? And I got to tell you, I don't have time to get into that right now. But I'm pretty sure Pastor Greg is going to define that with minute detail in the coming weeks. Then they'll not bring shame on the Word of God. When it comes to the autumn... And the winter of life. Notice the focus. It's not on entitlement. It's not on a life of ease. It's not a life where other people always defer to you. The focus is on character. Specifically, living a life worthy of respect. I think there's a subtle temptation as we age to think that life ought to get easier. To confuse kicking back and relaxing physically with kicking back and relaxing spiritually. There's probably only one thing worse than an angry, defiant young person. And that's an angry, defiant old person. So I've got news for you as you enter into the next season of your life, whatever season that is. You may reach new plateaus... You may grow beyond certain temptations, but don't think that just because the hormones are no longer raging, all the battles are over. This spiritual battle in which we are engaged is to the death. Faithful unto death. That's the charge. So i got to tell you the truth. Across the years and across the country, the number of people that I've seen enter the autumn and winter of life, still learning still serving, still exercising self-control in their appetites and with their tongue, too far and too few between. 
And so Paul is essentially giving a message to older Christians that older Christians like to give to young people. Act your age. Keep the main thing the main thing. Don't be resentful that someone else didn't have to go through what you had to go through. Don't hold a different generation to the same kinds of preferences that you have. Don't think that just because you survived physically all these years that you're automatically deserving of admiration. Well, there's one more generational and seasonal message that Paul has. This time he's writing to Timothy, another young minister. And he gives this counsel about youth. He says, young people are not necessarily to be disrespected. He writes in the Bible that don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all the believers in what you teach and the way you live and your love, your faith, your purity. And so the same standard applies to this season of life. You want to be treated like an adult? Set an example. Don't expect to be coddled and spoiled and have all of your actions excused as youthful indiscretions and then expect all the privileges of adulthood. Now the fact is, a lot of young people do set godly examples. And when they do, they should be respected, not looked down upon. The common thread in this message is just this. It's what brings us together. The source of self-esteem in this life is not what generation we're a member of. It's not what season of life we're going through. The source of our self-worth and that which brings us together is, comes from God. He gives us everything we have. He makes us everything we are. And when we accept that revolutionary thought, we become new creations. The Bible says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We had a credit card used fraudulently uh, just last Saturday. I'm at home, I get a call. Citibank, uh, security, did you just charge $350 at Home Depot? I said, I don't, I don't think so. I'm sitting here at home. My wife's at work. She's done crazier things, but I don't think she did that just now. I said, where was the charge made? They said, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I thought, well, insofar as I've never even been to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, that's probably a fraudulent charge. Okay, we'll cancel that. We'll get you the new cars Monday. Monday rolls around. I get another call. Uh, someone stole your new cards, and they're using them fraudulently. This is all in the span of three days. Now, I'm not normally a paranoid person, but, you know, if they really are after you, it's justified. And then I was thinking about this message. You know, identity theft is really, really a bad, bad news thing. If you've ever been through it or you know someone that has, you know what a nightmare it is. But I, you know, I thought, that's what's happened to the American church. We've become victims of identity theft. The forces of evil have stolen our identity. We've allowed culture to identify us by age and generation and season of life, and a hundred other signifiers, and we think that's our identity. 
All the things that divide us, we've accepted as our identity. But the Bible says if we are in Christ, we are what kind of creation? New creation. It says we're his what? We're his ambassadors who tell other people good news about their new identity. That's what brings us together. I I can't be defined by my physical limitations, by the color of my skin, by the level of my education, by my emotional or psychological challenges. I can't be defined by some disease. My ultimate identity is not determined by the numbers on my birth certificate or generational characteristics or the season of life I'm going through. I am a what kind of creation? A new creation. I'm going to live forever. Don't define me by some demographic profile based on the zip code in which I live. It's not who I am. If we're in Christ, we're new creations. Don't tell me there have to be barriers between the generations and the seasons of life. We're new creations. That's our identity. We only have one identity that counts. There's only one ID you have that you can't lose or have stolen. It's an ID card that says, Christ's ambassadors. That's it. That's who we are. So this week, show someone your ID.